Well, last week, let me just kind of go over some of the things. We started looking at um, Noah and uh, how he succeeded as a father and why. And uh, we got to this part. Uh, we were in Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Uh, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among uh, his people, uh, the people of his day and of his time. Uh, and he walked faithfully with God. And what we looked at last week, from just from verse 9, is several aspects of Noah's life uh, that were positive. Uh, how did he make such a positive impact is that Noah walked with God. And we looked at some of those words like righteousness, and uh, Noah, it says, was a righteous man. And uh, we looked at that first little phrase, among his people, among the people of his time. And uh, we, the challenge for us is to be like Noah, to, uh, to live in righteousness in our relationships, to live in right relationships with others around us. And Noah clearly did that uh, in, in such a way um, uh, that it challenges us to make sure in, in our business dealings, in our walk, in our talk, in our relationships, in our neighborhood, that we would live righteously. Uh, now, that doesn't mean we live like cream puffs. That doesn't mean uh, that we become the pushovers for the world, uh, especially the pushovers for evil. But we want to live righteously among the people, that, that when people look at us, uh, they would see us and they would know us and they would say, you know what, that's someone whose, talk uh, whose walk matches the talk. And that's really what we talked about last week is we want to be that kind of person. Uh, my greatest desire is... Um, that, uh, uh, that if my neighbors and those that I invite to church or those that I see when I coach baseball or hang out or uh, just uh, wherever I am in the community, if they show up and they say, hey, that's my neighbor, or I saw that guy at the gas station or something, that they would see the same guy in the pulpit that they saw uh, on Monday through Saturday as well. And that's a, that's a great desire. So he was righteous in his relationships. And that's something we earn and that's something we blow. And we talked about that kind of relationship last week, is that we live in such a way that what we say and what we do um, either, either builds righteousness in our relationships, but we, uh, and so we earn righteousness among the people that we communicate with, but we do not earn righteousness from God. That comes by faith, and we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. The righteousness of God, from God comes by faith, and we looked at that idea in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, now by faith... Noah, uh, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built the ark to save his family. And then by faith, this is over in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, the hall of heroes. Um, by faith, there's that word a second time. Uh, we gain righteousness from God through faith. We don't earn it. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. So we're not saved by works, but it's our works, it's our walk, it's our talk that earns righteousness and right relationships with those around us. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, I just quoted that. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever believes in Him, that's faith, trust in Him, uh, should have uh, should not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, so then we talked a little bit last week, if you remember, how do we walk um, uh, with God in an ungodly world? And I gave you a couple of thoughts. Um, first, spend time in God's Word. 
And the challenge was, and hopefully you did this week, as you began to read, there are so many uh, great Bible study apps, or you just uh, may be uh, uh, like my wife, who she's got her Bible that she, uh, every morning, my wife loves to see the sunrise. You've heard me say that. Um, the only time I want to see the sunrise is when I'm about to kill something. Uh, is uh, That's my favorite time to see the sunrise. And so uh, I'm a sunset and later guy. But uh, she's got, she likes to read out of a physical Bible. I mean, she likes to read out of a physical Bible, and she likes to underline and highlight and get ready to teach her uh, ladies' life group uh, every week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like reading off my iPad because that keeps me from needing glasses and because uh, you can technologically expand the print. Anybody like that? Um, there has been a long-standing thing, and I know I know the congressman's about to bring this up. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think I was 45, that uh, my wife and I went into the optometrist, uh, Dr. Wimbish, and uh, they were they were sitting there, and he just made an off-the-cuff statement. He says, "As much as you read, you'll never make make it to 50 without reading glasses." And um, I smoked them. I even did a couple of victory laps. But yesterday, I went into the optometrist, and my wife shows up. And sure enough, I had to get glasses. So some morning, you may see me here with glasses. Um, in other words, they say I'm running out of memorized scripture. So uh, <laughs> they said, you're starting to say the same verses over and over again. <laughs> So uh, they think I need to learn some new verses, so I'm going to do that. But uh, we talked about, hey, spend time in God's Word, spend time in prayer, and this is what we looked at last week. Um, Third, uh, be the spiritual leader of your home. How do you walk with God in a difficult... Be the spiritual leader of your home. Lead your family. Talk to your family. Challenge your family to go further than they have gone spiritually. And finally, we, we said this last week, you know, walk in obedience, Man, if God, if God tells you to do something, do that. And so that's what we looked at last week. And so this is part two uh, of how to walk with God in a difficult... Noah witnessed. Noah, Noah was a witness to others. And uh, my invitation to you is be a witness. Be a bold witness for faith. Be a bold witness uh, for God in everything that you do. Man, his neighbors, Noah's neighbors were corrupt. They were violent. They were wicked. They were evil. If you read scripture prior to uh, the verse we talked about, Noah lived uh, in the middle of, uh, of an evil season, an evil neighborhood, an evil uh, place. But he stood out. His life was a witness. His life was salt and light. Uh, Noah... But still, even in the midst of that, Noah walked with God. Um, regardless of what people around him uh, were like, Noah walked with God. And I want to invite you to, uh, to be a witness, not just to your family. Don't just lead your family. But look for opportunities at the office to uh, share your faith. Uh, don't be afraid uh, to back away. Uh, from your faith and uh, challenging others with your faith and be, be with your clients and talk about your faith. And if we are, Satan wins. You know, we'd love, uh, Satan would love nothing more than us to say, well, they look pretty ungodly, so I don't think I'll bring up faith. I can't imagine anybody more that needs our bold witness for Christ 
than someone that we at least can deem as ungodly. Noah was surrounded by ungodly people, but he was still a witness in his generation and to his people. Um, Here's another way. You ready? All right. Noah witnessed. Noah also, he won his own family. Noah actually was the one who saved his own family. Uh, In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, as we jump forward a little bit, we read uh, these words shortly before God uh, destroyed the whole whole earth and the whole flood. It says in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to Noah, He says, Come you and all your household and go into the ark. For, For you, notice what he says, He said, You I have seen righteousness before me in this generation. Man, he says, come in, you and your entire household. Noah led his family to faith. Uh, I, I want to challenge you, and, and, and many of you are in your grand, uh, the grand seasons, the great seasons, that uh, you are a grandparent or a great-grandparent, uh, to, to lead your family, even through your kids, to challenge your kids, just like Noah did. Noah took his whole family, put them on the ark. Uh, just because your kids are grown and they have their own family and they have their own houses and they have their own jobs doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to influence them, to drive them to faith, to drive them to the ark of righteousness, to drive them to God uh, and, 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 and have a greater impact. Now, my guess is, and this is what I've heard, um, there are some in this room that would love to have a do-over. You look back on earlier seasons in your life and you wish, you wish that you would have spent more time with your son or your daughter uh, in church than you did on the sports field. In church, you wish if you could do over, you would spend more time with them in church than you did hunting or fishing or this or that. And the truth is there are a lot of people that are that way. And you can't undo one day, but you can start today. Don't give up. Don't live a life of regret. Uh, Instead, live a life of faithfulness. Man, drive your kids. Challenge them uh, to be a faithful witness. And and I want to encourage you, if that's you, be honest with your kids. Find those seasons of honesty with your son or, uh, or with your daughter or Uh, your son-in-law and say, you know what, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. But be honest and confess with them. Say, one of the things that I regret is is that I let the wrong priorities creep into my life. When I was young, when I was in my early 20s with a young family or my 30s or my 40s, some of the best things we can do uh, I believe as we age and is is become, become very honest with our kids about our regrets. And, and part of that is to challenge them. I, the reason why I'm telling you what I regret when I, was in thir- when I was 30 and you were 9 or you were 10 or you were 11. Now you have this house. You know, you're talking to your son or your daughter. Now you have this house and you have your own kids. You have your own thing. Let me tell you what I regret. I regret, I regret missing some of the most important things for some things that I really thought were important. We'll say that again. I regret missing some of the really important things for things that at that point I thought was important. And so I went in and challenged you. Be honest 
with your kids and your grandkids, regardless of how old they are. If you're still young enough, uh, man, look around the room. Ask some guys in the room. Uh, uh, if, um, if, if you're here and you're in your 20s and you've got kids that are, that are three or four or five, and uh, I can guarantee you every time I talk about that subject, if you are a grandparent or a great-grandparent and I say, do you, any of you regret what you did? They, they do this. So, so learn from them. And don't be in that season. Don't be in that place that when you're at that stage uh, and your kids start having kids, that you, that you don't live with a, a regret that you didn't push your kids to the ark, to the church, to faith, to the gospel. Because if you don't, no one else in this society will. No one else will. I will guarantee you, as a, and my mom is a retired school teacher. My wife still teaches school in a public school. Uh, I will tell you there is nothing about the educational system that is going to try to push your kids to faith from this point on. It's not going to happen. They can be influenced by people like my wife and my mom and many of the others. Even some of you have uh, wives uh, uh, that are educators. They can be influenced through the character, but the curriculum... Is not going to be. We can all go back, and I think think the beauty if uh, uh, if you look in the history of our country, there used to be a season that kids were taught to read by reading the Bible. Can you imagine that? That is not going to happen, and I will guarantee you the educational resources they are going to read are going to do anything but reflect a godly nature and a godly history of our country. It's, gonna, it, it, it's, being, it's being written out. It's being edited out of the history of what our kids are going to read. If we don't give our kids the gospel and the truth, no one else will. No one else will. And so that's my encouragement. I, I love that. It, God looked at him and said, You've been righteous. Take, grab your whole family, and get on the ark. Drop down to verse 7. Notice what Noah did. It says, and Noah went in. Everybody say, went in. You know, it's one thing for me to sit here and say, hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. And amen, 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 amen. But Noah could have known what God told him to do. Oh, so it's about to start raining. I've spent all this time building the ark. It. It's a, yeah, what's right? Noah, yeah. Uh, uh, was that Bill Cosby or Flip Wilson? Which one? Noah. What? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I loved them both. I know Flip Wilson was definitely, the devil made me buy that dress. Yeah. Huh? Devil made me do it. I had a shirt. I had a shirt growing up. Anybody ever see those shirts that said the devil? I had a shirt. Let me tell you what, that never got me out of one spanking. My dad bought me the shirt and never cared. So uh, he said, the devil may have made you do it, but I'm going to punish you and you talk to him. So uh, I was a little aside. That was a little aside. A shirt doesn't help. But uh, notice, I love those words. And Noah went in. That means he took his knowledge and put it into practice. And if we never connect those for our kids... If they never see us connect those with our actions, with our lifestyle, our words are ultimately going to fall short. If they hear us say something but don't see us do something, we're going to fall short. 
And, and they're going to think in their minds that they really don't believe it. See, if you don't connect verse 1 and verse 7, what God tells me to do and what I do, it rings hollow with our kids. It rings hollow with our grandkids. It rings hollow with our neighbors. It rings hollow with those we work with. We have to be able to connect. Verse 1, God says, grab your family, get in the ark. Verse 7, Noah grabbed his family and got in the ark. And we've got to be able to connect those knowing and doing. We've got to bridge the gap between knowing and doing. And we've got a lot of people in the faith that know a lot about Scripture. We need more people that do what Scripture tells them to do. We've got a lot of people that know about what God, about God's Word and about God. But we've got to connect the knowing and doing. And there's nothing wrong with knowing. We need to know more. We need to learn more. That's part of what I said. I focused on it last week. Man, we need to be in God's Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to learn more. As a matter of fact, we're, um, y'all have heard me talk about this a little bit. We're starting a, a ministry academy uh, that, uh, that is going to happen beginning this fall uh, on Sunday afternoons that people can go through one year of our teaching, and uh, we've signed an agreement with Southwestern Seminary and Southeastern Seminary that you can sit and you can learn history and theology and you can get up to 18 hours worth of seminary credit just for what we're going to teach you here and the curriculum that have been approved and the topics that have been approved. But I will submit to you, you sit through that and you earn your 18 hours of seminary credit, but you never connect the knowing and the doing. We've missed being salt and light. We've missed, missed the connection point. And so part of our challenge all the way through there is what did you do with what you know? What did you do with what you know? What did you do with what you know? Because some of the best witnesses I've found in church and, and throughout the, my 22-some-odd my years here at, at the church is sometimes the best servants of God are some of the ones that know the least. Some of the ones that know the least. Because they're just passionate about their faith and seeing someone else come to faith and, and many times not seeing someone else make the same mistakes they did. And so I want to encourage you, connect verse 7 to verse 1 in your own life. Don't just know what God wants you to do in verse 1. Do what God wants you to do in verse 7. So notice what it says in verse 7. It says, And Noah went in. And his sons and his wife, and uh, uh, they all went in with his wives into the ark because the waters were about to flood. Boy, if you think about Noah and all the greatness of Noah, if you look at Noah's life, his only converts were his family. Noah didn't have a Billy Graham ministry. Noah didn't, Noah didn't have a ministry where, where people packed stadiums and then walked the aisle and flooded the aisle. Interesting word, flooded the aisle. Noah's only converts were his family. But God ended up choosing to start the world over 
with his family. And so I want to encourage you with this idea. God may want to do something special with your family if you connect verse 1 and verse 7. There was only converts. Man, Noah did some incredible things in his life. Man, he, he was, a, he was a, his own corporate executive. He um, financed the ark apparently himself. Not a bad gig. Maybe, maybe he took out some loans and flooded them with debt. <laughs> uh, yeah, he floated some loans. Yeah, that's a, that a boy. You know, if you think about it, boy, so Noah didn't have a bunch of followers. Didn't, didn't have a bunch of converts. But the people he impacted most were his family. So I'm going to encourage you, start there with your family. We have a ministry, and you've noticed if you walk through the atrium, there's a kind of a little wood house triangle thing there. That's, that's called our Faith at Home Center. Regardless of where you are, you walk over there. If you want to share your faith with your grandkids or lead your grandkids or you lead your kids or something like that, we have a brochure that we've written right there, how to, how to impact your grandkids, how to impact your kids. Go by that Faith at Home Center. Uh, even if you don't, even if even if you are Noah and you've gotten your whole family on the ark, I will promise you there are a bunch of families that are showing up to this church who are in this community uh, around us. Who, if you get an, get the opportunity to to encourage them in their faith, and you see they have little kids, walk them over to that faith at home. Say, hey, here's something that will help you disciple your kids, and, and let them see it. Notice what it happened. Now, those are all the good parts about Noah. Yeah. 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 If y'all if y'all didn't hear it, think about how hard it would have been for Noah in those days to be a believer, to walk by faith, as it talks about in Hebrews chapter eleven, be righteous, and everybody around him is corrupt. And think about what we have as a benefit. If we think it's, 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 it's easy for us to live the Christian faith. It's easy for us to walk uh, in faith. Uh, but imagine everybody around him being corrupt. So those are the positive aspects about Noah. But Noah wasn't perfect. And this is the part of the series. Every one of these individuals I'm going to talk about, there are some incredible things for us to learn. Some positive things for us to learn, but there are also some very negative things for us to learn from. Because Noah wasn't perfect. If you look, um, look over to Genesis chapter 9, if you have your Bibles open, if you have your smart device. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 to 23. It says, Noah was a man of the soil, um, and he proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside the tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took the garment and laid it across their shoulders. And when they walked in, they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned uh, to the other side in the other way uh, so they would not see their father's nakedness. Uh, Noah wasn't perfect. I I love the way it starts. It it just kind of slips on you. Uh, Noah was a man of the soil. 
that, that that's usually hey he's you know we we say that from time to time you know that, that's a man's man you know he he worked oil, worked the oil worked the so, soil or whatever he's a farmer and then all of a sudden it says he got drunk he got lit up you know and, and you think about it uh, that, that's just one one thought and Noah wasn't perfect. Now, this is, this is the only thing we're told, really, kind of negatively about, about Noah. But, but my guess is if you backtrack, uh, he wasn't like Enoch. He wasn't, you know, one that just walked perfectly with God. And, and if you look in this instance, uh, Noah was one that not only embarrassed himself and sinned uh, himself, but he also embarrassed his kids. And caused one of them to receive a curse. And the truth is, the challenge for us is godly and good as Noah was. He wasn't perfect. And so if you, if you are going to try to live that kind of life to, to bring your family and drive your family and drive successive generations to faith in Christ and put your family on the ark, just because the fact that you're not perfect doesn't keep you from being able to live that way. And that's why I want to encourage you, just be honest. Be honest about the things that you dropped the ball, the places your priorities were wrong, the, the sin that was in your earlier seasons in life, and be honest with your kids. Say, man, I, I should have done a better job, or I shouldn't have done this, or you know that, that I screwed up in this way, in this season, in this place. And so that's my challenge to you is Noah wasn't perfect. He was godly. He followed God's, God in a lot of ways. And a lot of us are that way. I, I've known just o- over the years, I, I've known some, some folks that, and there might be some, some in here, and um, I'm not going to share any of your stories, uh, uh, but there, there's some guys in here that, that I've known and in church that, man, they love God. And you look at them in here, and they look perfect. But you get around them and their family, and they cannot control their anger. I mean, they just, they would not talk to anybody the way they talk to their wife and kids. I mean, just, you know what I'm talking about. And there are some guys around here that, 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 that I've known over the years that, um, that I, from all practical purposes, from nine to... 12.30 or whenever, 12.45, whenever I'm done preaching on Sunday morning. They look like the model saint. And over the years, I've gotten a phone call at night from that guy's wife. and says, I really need you to come over and talk to my husband. What's going on? He's just been battling alcohol. And I had no idea. For years, I had no idea. Or he's been battling that. Some guys I've seen here in our church. And through the faith over the years that from 9 to 12.30, 12.45 on Sunday mornings, they look like the model saint. And all of a sudden I get a phone call and he's been in a long affair. I had no idea. And that phone call has happened many times over. We, we've had people in our church that from 9 to 12.30 and sometimes on Sunday night in Awana and Wednesday night with youth that they look like the model saint. And then the next thing we hear, 
He's just walked away from his family. You're like, what? And so my challenge to you is, Noah wasn't perfect. And if you're one of those guys, if you're one of those guys that we have no idea, the truth is going to come out. And my encouragement to you is to seek God's grace and God's favor and the help of the brothers and sisters and many of the men in this room that will help you walk through and navigate a situation so it doesn't come to that end. Man, find the right people and confess your sins to and walk, uh, have them walk you through certain things. And man, just, just, just move down. Don't let it come to that situation. Don't let it come to the situation where your children are embarrassed and your grandkids are embarrassed. Man, decide and determine this is my issue. And I don't know what your issue is. You can fill in the blank. You can, you can fill in the blank. But don't let it destroy you. Don't let it destroy your kids. Don't let it destroy uh, your, uh, your, your, your generation. My father, you've heard me share from time to time, my father, a little brief history of our, of our family. Uh, everybody hears I'm from Houston, and I am from Houston. Did someone just call me? Oh, that was your stomach. Okay, good. That means time to eat. <laughs> um, you know, the re- everybody knows of, uh, of be- us being from Houston. We really aren't from Houston. Uh, we're from Indiana. All of our family's up in Terre Haute, Indiana. Anybody been to Terre Haute, Indiana? They're all corn and hog farmers. I mean, that's, that's, that's the side of our family. Uh, back in the early days, my dad's family, my dad's mom and dad, she was the princess of the landowner, my dad's mom. My dad's dad was one of the workers sons and they had a little tryst in the hay and that was my dad problem is daddy landowner wanted to kill little son and so they took and headed to Houston so we don't know any of that part of the family turns out my dad's dad was an alcoholic abusive beat him up my dad you know had to defend mom a lot my dad grew up with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, pulled, pulled a gun on his dad, just said, stop beating her or you're done. Well, my dad, when he was about 19, was walking down uh, the hall, um, uh, the road uh, there in Houston, Texas, and heard a, um, a revival service on a Sunday night. As a matter of fact, if you, my dad grew up with Chuck Swindoll. If you ever hear Chuck Swindoll tell a story about the meanest man he ever knew, go pull it up. He will say, Harlan Caton, that was my dad. That was my dad. My dad didn't have a middle name. He was just Harlan Caton. He was from the Harlan family, which is the Terre Haute family, and my dad's dad was named Caton. They just gave him two names, always trying to buy themselves back into the family, never did. So my dad grew up in that, and his dad died at a young age. My dad was saved. My dad walked with the Lord, but he struggled with anger. My dad could go with, from loving, caring, to put your fist up in about a nanosecond. 
and he didn't lose fights. <laughs> uh, but that was his struggle. The one thing he did see from his dad, he was never going to drink. But the anger and the bitterness was always there. And I was the third kid. I was the baby. Anybody feel like, anybody, anybody feel like you're a better parent to your younger kids than you were to your older kids? I was. Heck, I was, brand, I was kind of brand new in that first one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I got the best parenting of my dad. I did. I, and I saw it. I saw it. And I remember having conversations with him out at the deer lease. And he would talk to me about some of his struggles. And, hey, here's what I've always struggled with. And your older brother and your older sister, man, I, 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 was, I was way too this and I was way too that. And, and he had some of those conversations with me that I long and I miss. Then he died at 49. My dad died at 49. And how many times I wish I would have had a thousand more of those conversations with him because as he began to soften, I began to listen more. And I began to hear more. And so my point is to you is regardless of where you are in your season with your generations and with your families, as you soften, don't let your softness become silence. Can I say that again? As you soften in your age, don't let your softness with your kids be accompanied with silence about the gospel and church. And don't dare let your kids and your grandkids think you have always been the perfect person because that sets up a straw man that our kids and grandkids can't live up to. There was only one person that was perfect that walked this earth. And that's the one in our softness and our conversations that we always want to point our kids to. I love what Peter said, the Apostle Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, Christ left us, if you want to go read it, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 25, an example to follow. That, that word example, that Greek word example there, that pattern is really a word that reminded it that, it, that it drove Peter back to what you and I would remember these days as our kindergarten days. Remember, you would, you would learn to write, you would have a little picture or something like that, and it would have, it would have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. By the way, uh, they would have been Greek letters for, for Peter. And, and you learn to draw an A by tracing it, right? Or somebody would write a pattern. You know, you're, you would have those letters, and they would say, write an A, write an A, write an A, write an A, write a B, write a B. That's the pattern. Peter says, Jesus left us a pattern to follow. Where do we find that pattern? It's in Scripture. Boy, in the Gospels. And we want to look to Jesus. We want to look to Him as the pattern, the pattern to follow. So as we, as we grow as parents and grandparents and perhaps great-grandparents, as we soften, typically soften. Now, now, to soften in our words and in our actions doesn't mean we become soft. We never give in for the gospel. We never give up for the gospel. 
So when I say soften, I'm talking about in your conversation and your, my mom just left yesterday. My mom was through the weekend and, you know, at, at, at her age, here's what I've learned about my mom. Uh, we didn't grow up hugging in our family. We, we didn't grow up hugging. That just wasn't who my dad was. There's no doubt he loved me, but he wasn't a hugger. You know, he, he, was, he, was, he wasn't a hugger. I learned a little bit after my dad passed away. I can remember my mom, my mom just saying, I need a hug. You know, when I was young, I give her a hug. Guess what? Now my mom's in her 80s. And there are times I'll work in my home office there, and I can just hear her coming around the corner in her little slippers when she's staying up here. I know what she's doing. She's heading to my desk because she's going to tell me I just need a hug. My mom, from the time she was 48 until now her 80, she's been a, a widow. And guess what? She just needs a hug. The point is, it's become very aware. Sometimes it used to annoy me. Now I just love to listen to the slippers because I've softened. Our kids need to hear our slippers as we softly journey towards them. Hear the gospel and faith and us push them along in their walk without pretending we were perfect, without pretending we always had it together. And I love the, the idea that, man, what, what, all did, what all did Noah do? And I love, boy, I, I love hearing Joe talking about what he does for a living. And I love hearing you guys and the success and Jeff and the business world and people who are retired and people who do foundations for a living and cars for a living and finance and private equity. And just I look around law enforcement. I, I love hearing about the successes of all of those things. Like, Noah did a lot. He built an ark. He obviously planted vineyards. He, he started the whole world over again. Noah had some strengths. He was righteous. He was blameless among his people. Uh, he was faithful, but Noah had a weakness. And it became evident for all to see. Uh, I just wrote down some life lessons. Here's number one. It is possible to remain faithful in an unfaithful society. That's life lesson from Noah, number one. It is possible to remain faithful in an unfaithful society. So life lesson number one I want us to take away from Noah after these last two weeks is there are no excuses. There are no excuses. If Noah can do it, so can we. If Noah can do it, so can we. Now, that doesn't mean we've done it. And that's what confession is for. That is what forgiveness is for. That is what open and honesty is for, to share that and see that. Here's life lesson number two. God blessed and saved Noah and his family because of Noah's faithfulness. God blessed and saved Noah's family because of Noah's faithfulness. So life lesson number two. If you want to see your family blessed, even your 20-some-odd-year-old kids or 30-some-odd-year-old kids and your grandkids that you say, I wish they would get their kids and grandkids to church, don't let that keep you from being faithful. 
I still believe that God will bless our kids if we are faithful, even when they are unfaithful. As we set the course, as we chart the course. Sunday afternoon, we were out on a boat. If you've ever been on a boat in choppy waters, and Lake Levon was choppy, I think everybody and their dog was out on Lake Levon. When it became time for us to leave um, the east side, we'd, we'd, we'd put the boat in on the west side. We had to go straight across Levon. You ever, you ever done that? You go find when you're skiing or you're wakeboarding or, you know, whatever you're doing, you go find smooth water. If you're not a boater, just tolerate it for a second. But when you have to leave that, you have to go across the middle of the lake, and it's out there white capping. Guess where the smoothest wake was? I found a boat going across in front of us, and I, found, and I followed his white turbulence trail. Right there. And it, it wasn't totally smooth, but it was easier going. So my point is, lead your kids through turbulent water with faithfulness. Take the hit spiritually and keep moving. Because at some point, when things get real, real choppy, they're going to be looking for your wake. They're going to be looking to follow. My challenge to you, they may be off way away from faith. But someday I believe if you're faithful, they're going to look to follow your wake. Just like the prodigal son, the father was always there with steadfast love and steadfast grace. Life lesson number three, the story of Noah's drunkenness um, and his transgressions remind us that even the godliest people have weaknesses and can fall prey to temptations and sin. Even the godliest of us can fall prey to temptation and sin. Here's your final lesson. This is what we'll close with. Our sins not only affect us, but they affect those who follow us. Our sins not only affect us, but affect those that follow us. Last life lesson. You ready? Our faithfulness to the gospel not only affects us, but affects those that follow us in a positive way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity these last two weeks to know, look at Noah, a righteous man. He not only led his family, but he led them in brokenness and sinfulness. But ultimately, was used by God in a mighty way. God, let us be the Noah in a corrupt society, in a difficult generation. Let us lead our families in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all have a great day, guys.